0: failure isn't the opposite of success, it's part of it. And Gooder, in a lot of ways is this magical overnight success in eight years. We started in 2015, we had to have 130 people, but Gooder's the sixth company I've either started or been a part of starting and the first five were failures. And, and so you start realizing, you're like, well, it takes a, lot of, um, takes a lot of learning how to do something the wrong way to learn how to do it the right way. Welcome
1: to For The Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. We are proud to share that this episode is sponsored by our friends over at Puma. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, we're fans of Puma and have been really impressed with their efforts to support and foster the running community. We're excited to partner with a brand that has such a rich history in sports and that cares deeply about the running community. Puma believes that sometimes all it takes is a spark to make a change, to get motivated, or to try something new or hard. And we couldn't agree more. All we need is that small spark and the actions will follow to get us there. With that small flicker, anything is possible. Puma Running Shoes offers supreme cushioning, superior propulsion, comfort, and lightweight technology. I've been running in the Deviate Nitro First Mile, and I love how it has a focus on sustainability. The shoe feels amazing, and even better, it's in collaboration with First Mile. It's made from at least 20% recycled material, as First Mile's focus is on cutting down plastic waste in production and in the supply chain by finding innovative ways to get recycled plastic into products like Puma Running Shoes. Check out a pair for yourself at Puma.com and use the code FORTHELONGRUN for 20% off any Puma run or train products. When you support Puma, you support me and the rest of the For the Long Run podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for sponsoring us. Thank you to Microcosm Coaching for supporting the podcast this month. We're excited to be working with the team at Microcosm Coaching. We're disrupting the never enough culture in running by guiding athletes towards mastery, joy and independence in the training process. Microcosm Coaching is a human first coaching organization that knows the best athletes don't go at it alone. That's why Microcosm offers a diverse team of coaches with an expertise in nutrition, mental health, and performance that will help sustain your love for running long-term. Find your community at microcosm-coaching.com and tell them that the team at FTLR sent you. Thank you to the team at Microcosm for their continued support of our show and the greater community. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started and headquartered in Vermont. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high wear areas. They're made with breathable mesh, are ultra lightweight and are incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, well, aren't there socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that Merino wool socks are perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in cold or hot weather. In fancy words, wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, so we're excited to welcome them to For the Long Run family. Get a pair of your own at the link in the show notes, and be sure to use the code FTLR-BESTSOCK10 for 10% off. And welcome back. I have Stephen Lee joining me from Gooder. Stephen, thanks so much for taking some time to chat.
0: Oh, Jonathan, it's my pleasure.
1: So the first question is always a tough one on this podcast, and it goes like this. Who is Stephen?
0: Ooh, uh, Stephen is somebody who's been very, very lucky in his life to end up doing the job that he's always dreamed of, but didn't even know it until about Seven uh, years ago, and I feel like a very, very fortunate person to uh, to be able to be here today.
1: And I find the the fortunate person, or or however you describe it, to be interesting, right? Like, I imagine you've worked pretty hard to get where you are. <laughs> maybe, maybe not.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. And I think the the interesting thing is, both things can be true. I can work really, really hard and be very, very fortunate. I grew up in Colorado, so yeah, you I know you're in Boulder. I lived, I grew up in Nevada, so between Denver and Boulder, and lower middle class family, you know, great childhood with wonderful parents, and they very early on um, let me be like, like, last key is not the word, like extreme free range, where uh, never I never had a babysitter growing up. My brother was our babysitter. Like when I was five years old, my ten year old brother would be watching us, and. We could kind of do whatever we want. Explore. We just we we didn't have a lot of rules, but the rules we had were firm. And so we could do whatever we wanted after school, and we got into a lot of trouble, but had to be home at five thirty for dinner. That was non-negotiable. And so my parents, this wasn't by design. They intentionally created a person who very independent, very could can get into trouble, but also knows how to solve problems, but also can respect boundaries. And and when I look back at things that maybe the person I am today, that's for sure one of them. Like Growing up, being able to like do what I want, be who I want, and then not have the coddling. So when I did make mistakes, I had to solve them. And being an entrepreneur, there's a lot of mistakes you have to solve in real time a lot of the times.
1: Totally. And so the intersection with entrepreneurship is one that I love to dive into on this podcast. I So I have a team that helps enable the podcast to happen in the way that it does. And I was talking with... Emily, who who basically manages me to manage the podcast, um, and I was like, if we're not if we're not failing, we're not trying, and if we're not experimenting and making mistakes and learning from them, like I I want us making mistakes and learning from them because at some point I'm just like allergic to to stasis and status quo, and I I just I hate it. And to me, if the if you if you get into a place where you're just humming along and things are going all right, but you have visions of grandeur and aspirations of of growing bigger. Um, you gotta you gotta take some shots, right?
0: Oh, I completely agree. I mean, you know, failure isn't the opposite of success; it's part of it. And Gooder, in a lot of ways, is this magical overnight success in eight years. We we started in 2015. We had to have 130 people, but Gooders, the sixth company I've either started or been a part of starting, and the first five were failures. And, and so you start realizing, you're like, well, it takes a, lot of, um, takes a lot of learning how to do something the wrong way to learn how to do it the right way.
1: So talk to me about the six companies you've been a part of. What's been the genesis of Stephen, the entrepreneur? Where did it come from?
0: Yeah, I mean, growing up, my father was a golf course superintendent, but then he always had two jobs. He always he ran a landscape company on the side, so nights and weekends. And two important things there, he gifted me a work ethic where until 2017, I never did not have two jobs. Basically, I or got to a critical mass from like, well, this is I have to focus on it. So there's that piece of it. And you know, growing up, there's entrepreneurship around me in in certain degrees. So. Started a company right out of college. some success failed. And then I went and worked in corporate America and learned a lot, had a lot of good mentors. But one thing I found out after four years was I used to, I used to produce this thing called the do lectures and do lectures is like hippie Ted talks on wine, on a wine vineyard up in Northern California. And you would listen to entrepreneur story after entrepreneur story. And they would tell these magical tales of highs and lows and sitting there producing this event. I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I had started a company failed and then I worked as corporate America and I was like yeah I, I want to be back here and so uh left that work left that company and I got really good at like all right how can we start if we have an idea how can we start it for as little money as possible see if it works and then keep going because um, I don't come from money and so the the starting of business with as little money as possible is very key and gooder was was the one that like went and I, I could see it and for the but for the first two years I didn't uh, I didn't pay myself. My, my partner and I; neither one of us did. We both worked our regular day jobs and like like hustled this on the side until we got it to a place. and And so, what I tell all entrepreneurs is, you better love the work because for years that's all there is. Uh, and 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 so that's that's kind of the journey. But you know, everybody kind of sees the Steven now and the wild wallpaper and, and what's going on. <laughs> and I'm like, you better love, well, you better love the grind. There's a lot of <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of grind to get here.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the overnight success in ten years or seven or eight years, as you said. Yeah. Um, so, disclaimer: I don't even know if I want to call it a disclaimer. So, Gooder has been a supporter of this podcast since March of of 2021, and they've been one of the most consistent partners and sponsors of this podcast so first i want to thank you for helping to make it possible everyone who is listening to this on a regular basis knows that it's a labor of love and there are a lot of people that go into making it happen and that is only possible due to these brand partnerships and so i love working with gooder and with you guys because you're doing awesome things the gear there the glasses are great i've got the i'll just like Put them on now for those who are watching at home here yeah. but I mean these are sweet yeah <laughs> um and I'm curious about what it feels like to see it in the wild right like there's something about your your community who like your friends and family probably bought gooder early on but when was the first time you saw someone you didn't know wearing a pair of sunglasses that you created
0: It was in January of 2016. I know it because I remember it like it was yesterday. And what I can equate it to is what I imagine it might be like for back in the day when radio was a thing, a musician to hear their song on the radio for the first time. Like that's, that's how I would equate it where I was on a trail run. I was training for LA marathon at that time. And I was on a, a, somebody passed me that I didn't know that were wearing gooders. And I was like, well, that, that's a thing. Um, and then I remember the second time and like now it's so ubiquitous that it's, it's, it's actually awe inspiring. And if I really sit and think about it, like I will like get teary eyed, but it was, I, I remember the first time like it, it is burned in my mind. I will never forget it.
1: That's so cool. So let's, let's wind it back and talk about you as a runner. Um, so LA marathon 2016, do you remember your first run?
0: I remember my first race, I remember my first run ever. Like I was never a runner in high school or college. I, I would like jog casually in my 20s, but my first marathon was, uh, my first real race was LA Marathon 2012. And I lived in downtown LA and a good friend of mine, Russ, asked me, he's like, oh, do you want to train for LA Marathon with me? And I always really wanted to. And I was like, well, this is going to be a great opportunity for neighbors. And I remember my first long run, uh, Jonathan, where like, all right, got eight miles. And, and this entire week, I would, you know, built this podcast and did this eight mile run, and then train for the first marathon. The longest run I ever did was thirteen miles, and mile sixteen of that marathon, my legs froze up. They cramped up. I fell over the side of San Vicente, and it became glaringly (laughs) obvious that I did not train hard enough. (laughs) And I finished hobbling, but I loved the I loved the moving meditation. And so I trained for another. I finished that marathon in five hours and six minutes. Then I trained for my second marathon. Six months later, I did just under four. I really wanted to do that. And then, flash forward five years later, I'm finishing my first hundred mile ultra in Zion, and it was that thing. I fell in love. I didn't even like when I look back. I'm like, that is wild because I just fell in love with it, and I don't even. That's the only way I can explain it. And I just love doing it. And met a ton of friends who love doing it. And you know, in that. Um, when the idea for gooder happened, but I, it was run first. And it was just this, it was, you know, it was that thing that like filled me up. And there's, there's so much of it. Uh, running is, is, is a gift that just keeps on giving.
1: You crossed that finish line in 2012. Your legs had been seizing for 12 miles. <laughs> um, what's going through your head?
0: Oh man. I mean, there was an element of You know, here's the thing. The the first marathon is kind of interesting in the sense of you don't. You know, once you start like like once every step is the furthest you ever ran. There's kind of you're like I don't quite know what to expect and and what was going. I mean, there was was a lot of pain actually, Um, but I think I was I think I was too. It was so new. I was too stupid to like. I was too ignorant to like really um, be that miserable or upset. There had been other races later where. Maybe I didn't train hard enough. Or I ran too fast where I was mad at myself. But like that one was kind of, I was just kind of in, I was like, well, this is what it's like. This is, this is miserable. Like <laughs> this is hard.
1: <laughs> so I love what you said about when you've gone, you know, running your first marathon or first ultra or whatever, the, the feeling that this is the furthest you've ever been. I don't remember that in my first marathon But I remember that in my first ultra. And I very vividly remember it in my first longer distance where I did rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. And prior to that, the longest I had ever been on my feet was about seven hours for a 50k in Tahoe. And we get to the north rim in about seven hours. And I'm like, okay, well, I've got to go back and double what is previously my longest, and so the the pushing off and going back down and feeling of like I've never done this, and it's so substantially different than anything I've ever done in my life, and it's still the longest thing I've done. Um, that there's just like that feeling of the unknown is is so exciting, and yeah. there's so little opportunity we have to get there in in life.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll say one, I've done that run rim to rim to rim. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and, and so there's two, there's two things, what you said, the in life is what I would latch onto in rim to rim to rim. What, you know, John, what he said, you, you go to the front and it's like, what, like 22 miles one way. And then, um, you come back, but the last six miles, the very last six at the very end is you have to slog Back up um, this insane climb. I don't is it four thousand feet? I, Six thousand. Six thousand. Six thousand. It is a grind. So, but in that you've, you, I've spent all my energy. So I've done this, and I was by myself at this point. And like the sun was dropping when I was getting to the bottom of the last climb, and I'm by myself. But there's only one way forward, and there's one step in front of the other. And if you you fundamentally understand that. That's all you can do is all you can do is put one foot in front of the other and one foot in front of the other and start moving. And, and if you take that to a lot of things in life, you're like, well, I've done that. I can do this. And there is that perspective um, where where I think that for a lot of people who do long distance running, they get, they understand that you're like, yeah, this is going to be miserable for, uh, for a while, but there's some really cool stuff on the other side of it. And I'm going to learn a lot about myself. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the things that I learned about um, long distance running like just take that like hey there's only one path forward and it's the next step and there's a lot of things in life that's the same way.
1: I love that so much. I've had the same reflection literally in that moment. So I it took us like 3 hours to do the last 10k. So I know what you're feeling there and I was in so much discomfort that I was I was with my buddy, Tony. We did it with a group of like 15 people, but Tony and I had had separated away from everyone else. And he was up like, I don't know, a minute ahead of me. And I was just like watching him take step after step. And I'm standing there talking to my phone to distract myself from all the discomfort I'm in. And what I literally said in that moment was exactly what you said. I was like, there is no secret. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's it. What else yeah. are you going to do, right? It's like a very expensive $15,000 helicopter ride or you get your ass <laughs> on out of the canyon. And and the the parallel to to life is exactly that, right? Like I work in sales. I've been at a startup my whole career. I am focused on achieving big goals and doing big things and and the numbers in the millions, and I don't really know how I'm going to do it besides just doing it. And you just take step after step after step. And it's the same way that building fitness works. It's the same way that, that doing anything works, that the value of consistency and progress and step by step by step by brick by brick by brick, that's how you do anything. And and the the microcosm of doing it it in the Grand Canyon, where there truly is no other option besides march your ass yeah, on out it. there. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's an experience that I wish everyone could have because it strips down everything besides the fundamentals of just keep moving.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our I just rolled it out here. Good. Our focus is here as a company, we've one thing to focus on is fundamental excellence. And chose that for a lot of reasons, but we're growing fast and we're wild. We do all these things. I'm like, yeah, but like, let's go back to the fundamentals. And and this, um, a couple of years ago, I was at a wedding of a good friend of mine and they had a magician walking around, like a sleight of hand magician doing tricks table side. And I love magic so I'm a child. And this person does his card trick that blows my fucking mind. And then asks, do you want to see how I did it? I'm like, I absolutely want to see how you did it. And he describes to me that he... Took his, he, he trained himself to take his pinky and pull a card off the bottom of the deck, hold, put it up his sleeve just as pinky, taught himself dexterity, then take it back out and set it in the deck where he knows I'm going to be pulling. And I'm like, that is incredible. How many times did you have to practice that? He's like, I don't even know. I go like 500, 1,000. He goes, no, I think more like 10,000. And that's the moment I realized magic doesn't just happen. It's created through fundamental excellence. And that's the same thing with Gooder. Like, this company's not magic. Like, it is created through fundamental excellence over and over again. Finishing Rim Rim Rim, it, that's not, it, it feels magical and people hear it and they think you're superhuman, but it's created through those fundamentals, uh, first and foremost.
1: So, I'm 250 something episodes into this podcast. I am fascinated with excellence and I surround myself here in Boulder with people who have done incredible things in their life, not because I'm, you know, a fanboy of people who go to the Olympics, but because I believe that people who have achieved conventional levels of success have something that we can all learn from. And I find these people more interesting. And so my takeaway from talking to 200 plus high performers is exactly what you just said, right? Like you can't do anything overnight. And the boring... Repetition is the only way to to become excellent at anything, and I'll harp on this, you know, as as often as I possibly can, because you get all these people that are like, "I've got to be perfect all the time," and I'm like, "No, you don't. You just have to be good frequently."
0: Yeah, I, I, Gooder. I, gooder. I, you I just have to be good. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, good is never an adjective; it's always a proper noun here. Uh, but I know I agree completely, and I think even pulling out of the space of running, it's something I talk about here at Gooder, like celebrating the work over the results because the work never ends. You know, whether you're like like running, like running is a life practice for me. So it, it never ends. Like I can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never finish all my work. Um doing the dishes, like I love doing the dishes because it's a moment where I can I can start a project and end it and and enjoy that process. And so I always encourage everybody to like enjoy process, whatever it is, because that is it. Like that's kind of all life is. So you might as well enjoy it along the way. Even when, it doesn't have to be easy, but even when it's hard, you can still enjoy it.
1: Totally. I want to go back to something you said earlier. You did a hundred miler in Zion. First of all, Zion is a beautiful place. Yeah. If people are looking for a national park to go explore, uh, the national park system has a, a funny person running their, their Twitter account now. And they talk about if you want to avoid crowds, go to less populated places. Zion is not one of those places, but uh highly recommend it either way talk to me about the decision to do a hundred miler why
0: oh man uh, i'm so glad you asked this i remember when i first started running um ran about you know uh kind of myself and i I found a run group a year in and then met other run friends and joined another run group and then just meet people and and was fortunate to meet uh, a bunch of amazing runners and i would train with people i remember this one i went i went from a run group of like seven people To this giant group of 120 that was my first experience jonathan with people who i was the fastest in this one running group and then i went to this other one and there was 30 people faster than me and i was like oh shit and and in the best possible way it was one of the best things for me and i had people in that group that ran 100 milers and I, i had said out loud that is the stupidest fucking thing i've ever heard of why why would you ever run 100 miles that makes no sense to me flash forward a couple years into the journey this friend runs it this friend runs it a friend has you accrue it and you start thinking huh i think i can do it like it start it starts from a place of fear the reason i am like that stupid is because i'm afraid of it and then you meet enough people who can do it and then you start thinking well maybe i can do it and and then you you build up and and you build those muscles and it was just one of those things and i did it cuz i uh, i i had enough people i had enough people around me i knew it was possible at that point i'd been seriously running for 5 years like i had my practice down and i just wanted to prove to myself that i could do it and so i trained i was run, you know, running gooder on the uh, on the side i mean training for something like a 100 mile ultra is like working to like working a full time job cuz i would like i was running 50 60 miles a week and so i would get up on fridays I would run 20 miles before I would go into work and then run 20 miles again on Saturday. And, and really like that was, that was it. it was like, I, I, I wanted to try and push myself um, further than I ever had before. And, and, and so I did.
1: What did the start line feel like?
0: You know, it was, I remember the start line and, you know, eerily calm because you, you kind of, I, I mean, not 50 miles was the furthest I'd ever ran to that point. And so, you know, you have a over 24 hours in front of you and it was dark and calm and it was hotter than I was expecting. And, and so I remember just sitting there and like, all right, cool. And, and, and when you've been run training as much as I did, you know, like you could run 10 or 20 miles and it doesn't really hit your register, but it starts becoming difficult during the day. It was hotter than I was expecting. And mile 38, um, I, um, my legs totally locked up climbing a mountain. I fell over face down in the dirt. And then all the awful thoughts go through your mind of like, what the fuck are you doing out here? Like you have been training for how long? Well, this is you're you're never doing this again. Because at that moment I had realized I had 62 more miles. This is, this is not good. And, and so whenever I think anything gets really hard in life, I'm like, well, I've been in worse, way worse situations. Mile <laughs> 38 of my hundred mile ultra springs to mind. Um, but then you start and you go one at a time and you I realized I needed more liquid. I had dehydrated myself and I was just chugging noon and water. And by mile 50, I had I had pushed through it and I could actually start running again and running fast. And it was, it was, it was an experience, but it was it was a long day. And, and again, kind of like that first marathon. Once you get into mile 60 and 70, you don't really You're kind of out, and you don't. Your ignorance does you well, like this. You know, like like it's the it's the only one I've ever done, probably because when you're ignorant to it, it's easy. Now, but now be like, well, that's that's hard. Like I I know what that's like, (laughs) and so yeah, that's that's how it it was. And and to this day, I mean, my my friends are screwing me. Um, you know, one of my oldest friends, Ben, like hosed me off. He's my partner, Gooder, with a with a, a bottle of champagne when I finished, and you know, if I really sit and think about it and put myself in the situation, like I'll get goosebumps. And I'm insanely proud of like the work that, it, that went into it. And uh, it was all worth it. Would you do it again? Man, I think about that occasionally. Uh, I mean, I'm training for a 50k. Uh, you know, I, I did 50k last year. That's kind of my distance. Um, maybe it would take i i could get there it, i don't have this burning desire to do it but there is a world where i could see it um but yeah i'm I, I i legit have the thought um a solid maybe to know but uh I, i'm not like it's not like a fuck no like it's not a fuck no i have an itch at times there is times where i'm like, i'm like you know you know what uh you did it at 30 uh so i did i was 30 you oh, know how old was i No, I was, I must've been 35. I did 35. And so, you know, there's a, there's a world where like, like, like maybe when you're 45, you'll do it. Um, so I don't know, maybe.
1: Cool. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Gooder for supporting this episode. I have more than a few different styles at this point and I love them all. At $25 a pop, you can leave a pair in your car, your backpack, or really anywhere so that you'll never be without some shades. You can feel good about your purchase too, as 1% of Gooder's annual gross sales, that's not just profits, go directly to environmental nonprofits working towards making our world a better place. If you'd like to support me in the show, treat yourself to a pair or two or three of Gooders and head over to Gooder.com and get free shipping with the code FTLR. Your face will thank you. This episode of For the Long Run podcast is sponsored by Puma. For 75 years, Puma has been pushing sports and culture forward with innovative design and development. We are honored to have Puma supporting this show and supporting the running community at large. My greatest compliment for Running Shoe is I didn't think about it once. The purpose of having the right gear is to enable you to do anything you want out there. When I'm running in Puma's Deviate Nitro first mile, all I'm thinking about is literally anything else. I think about the community. I think about why trying hard things is so rewarding. I think about how cute Alfie is. And I think about how much I love tacos. And I think about the big things like how I want to leave each place I inhabit better than I found it. You know what I'm not thinking about? What's on my feet. And that's the best thing about Puma Running Shoes. They're designed to help you get out there effortlessly so you don't have to worry about what's on your feet. Just need to worry about putting one foot in front of the other. Check out a pair for yourself at Puma.com and use the code for the long run, all one word for 20% off. Again, when you support Puma, you're supporting me and the rest of the podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for supporting us. Here at the For the Long Run podcast, we believe that inspired athletes are unstoppable. That's why we're excited to be working with the team at Microcosm Coaching. We're disrupting the never-enough culture in running by guiding athletes towards mastery, joy, and independence in the training process. Microcosm Coaching is a human-first coaching organization that knows that the best athletes don't go at it alone. That's why Microcosm offers a diverse team of coaches with an expertise in nutrition, mental health, and performance that will help you sustain your love for running long-term. The Microcosm coaches and community of like-minded athletes will encourage you, strengthen your commitment, and support accountability towards your highest goals. Through breakthroughs, setbacks, and plateaus, your coach and community will guide you through the ups and downs inherent in an athletic life. Find your community at microcosm-coaching.com and tell them that the team at FTLR sent you. Thank you to the team at Microcosm for their continued support of our show and our greater running community. One thing that I'm super curious about with people in your position who, or any, uh, yeah, your position, who are busy at work and have a team and, and people counting on them, who also have things going on outside of work, and also run a lot. Um, right now, I'm in a period of uh, burnout, you could call it, from yeah. all sorts of stress. And running was the first thing to go, and so I've like backed off of structured training, and I'm trying to figure out how to enter it back into my life in a sustainable way. I'm curious for you how how do you how do you rectify or how do you I don't balance is, I don't like talking about balance because I don't think we're I don't think any of us are balanced unless we like do things like robots. Um how, how do you manage the seasons of life or the the different things that you have going on?
0: Yeah, no, it it's a great question. I burned myself out after a 100-mile ultra. I mean, I did a I, rem, I remember being like 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 I I I was toast and I did like a 50k um but I, I didn't run for about a year and a half, really, from um, to late 2018 through 2019. And one of the gifts that the pandemic gave me was some time and space, and I got my run practice back. And, and in that, that moment, what I had decided was same thing, no structured training. I stopped using Strava. I stopped tracking uh, how my pace because... I became attached to the speed of the runner I, I, I had been, not the, the, what, what I was at, th- at that moment. And that was, that's not good. I'm like, I don't, I don't do this for, for times. And, and I just I fell back in love with the process. And I started just running. And I started running more and more. But like, for me, it was un- handcuffing. I wasn't training for a race. I wasn't doing time. And I turned off any way that nobody knew. So then I couldn't beat myself up. So it didn't matter if I was running a 7-minute mile or an 11-minute mile. I, like, it's my mile. And that was, that was, the what started it. And then last year, uh, December of 2021, I wanted to do more and I I needed accountability. And so I started a run group of, you have to be a gooder to do it. You have to be an employee, but, um, where we train for a 50 K. So it's, it's, we start training, um, the first Saturday in January and we have a self-supported 50 K we do out here. And I started that because I know running is good for me. I know it helps my mental health, and I if I set up this run group and I try and coax a bunch of people to do it with me, I have to show up and run every Saturday because it's my fucking group. I don't care how tired I am, and that that has been a gift. And so we're in season two of it right now. Like last year, I saw um, you know there's a 25k option, a 50k option. I saw eight different people do the furthest race they've ever done in their life, and like that was pretty pretty cool.
1: These are all gooder employees?
0: All good employees or like you can be the partner of an employee. Like you can be, um, but yeah. And, but, and also I I do believe in seasonality to your point. I think that like, there's just seasons of life. There's seasons of the year. Um, because the one thing that I didn't prep the first year on well enough is when you train for something like this, the time that it takes and you actually have to be like, Oh man, my Saturdays are kind of gone. Um, which means your Friday nights are kind of gone unless you're, you know, like, like I, I had to stop when I was 34, I couldn't get wasted on, I couldn't get blackout on Friday night and party. So like, so that's the thing that, that I think new runners need to understand is like, there is a major time commitment you have to plan ahead for. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. We're, we're in season two. I, I love it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. The Friday night into Saturday, getting it set, getting it back. Is, uh, is huge. Last weekend, I woke up when I wanted, I took my dog for a walk and yeah. met a friend for brunch yeah. after she did her 16 miles. And I was like, this is great. Um, but to your point, it's like, you don't realize how much time and energy it takes until you're not doing it. I remember training for the 50K, for my first 50K and then rim to rim to rim. And like, I was doing long runs and I'd get home from them at four PM. Yeah. <laughs> like between driving to a trailhead in boss outside of Boston, taking an hour plus to do that, and then, you know, I'd run a marathon distance in five hours with five thousand feet of gain and then like eat lunch nearby, but it was like two o'clock, so late lunch. And you get home at four o'clock and it's like, what the hell? The the whole day is gone. Um, <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's a choice. It's a season of life and and it ebbs and flows for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, were you training by yourself or were you training with people?
1: Um, I was training with one or two other people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, there's, there's a couple things I love about running. I love the moving meditation part, personally. I love the grind and the process and the fundamental piece we talked about earlier, but also I mean, the deep connection because, I mean, some of, my dearest, closest friends in life, I met running and, and we still run today. I mean, you know, uh, a couple of the senior leaders at Gooder, I met in a run group in two thousand fourteen. And and when you run with somebody and you spend five, six hours every Saturday with these people, you learn a lot about each other because you ain't got nothing else to do but talk. So you better be talking <laughs> about life. And and so that is a, like that is a really cool thing about it. Um, and so if you can find that community, you really get, you really get connected with people through running uh, for a lot of different reasons.
1: I find any run that's beyond like 45 minutes, you skip right to the the good stuff in life. And, um, it's like the similarly with driving somewhere, like the dashboard conversations there, I think there's a lot to like, you're not looking at someone and, and so it feels different yeah. And yeah, I mean, I have a couple of friends where like we just go on these epic runs and talk about everything. And to me, like that's one of the reasons why I do it. I like to be fit so that I can do adventures with friends. Um, When I got into running, it was I like to be fit so that I can put up fast times because I think that's what being a runner is or I thought that's what being a runner was. Um, I'm glad I've learned my lesson since then. And, and it's like, it's really all about the shared experience and, and the cool stuff we get to do with people. Um, that to me, like, that's why I run all these miles so that I, last summer I joked that if you asked me what I was training for, it was so that I could do anything with three to five days notice. Why three to five days notice? So I could not do my Wednesday workout and get after it on Saturday or or Sunday.
0: No, no, you're not wrong. I mean, um especially as I get older, I'm very aware, like I want to be as active and as mobile as long as I, I can. And so one there is controlling mileage, but also there is like a special superhuman feeling when you're really fit and you can do long distance running. Um, it's it's cool. I mean, my partner Sarah, she does not run and she doesn't understand it. Um, and uh, last year, uh, a friend of mine was running a 50k she needed me for a 10 mile segment and i and i was wavering uh she asked me last minute and i was wavering because i had planned the night before and uh flash forward my alarm goes off at 5 a.m i'm like no 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 i i got because i couldn't go do it and my partner she was like are you fucking kidding me right now she's like that is some superhuman shit and um that you probably have that feeling at times and you're like yeah like it is. It, it is. It isn't though, because it's just like I've just done this so many times that I can, I can, I know what I'm doing. But yeah, that that is a really good point. Uh, like, it, it is cool to be that like confident in your ability to move,
1: or even not confident in your ability to move and like testing it out. So, I you've worked with Kara Goucher in the past with Gooder. I don't know if she's still a, a Gooder athlete or not, but. Um, we run. We run a lot together here in Boulder, and she has a you know a historic or a, a really impressive running resume. And she's been to the Olympics, and she's run all these fast marathons. And last summer, she had running taken away from her, and her body was saying no, no, no. When like this is all she's known her whole life. And she's like, I don't know what to do. Running is me. And so as she got back into it, we were doing a lot of runs on, on dirt together because that's the only way that she was able to run. And a few weeks ago, uh, we were running and she was like, so there's a, a path that we run on in Boulder and it's mostly dirt. And there's one split where it can go to pavement and we're getting back to it. And she's like, you want to do something really dangerous? I was like, what? <laughs> Let's go on the pavement. <laughs> and so here's someone who has who has run a marathon in the two twenties and her challenge of her body on that day was was running on pavement for a half mile. And to see the like the joy in her face when when it was completed and when she was able to do it, like that kind of thing is so cool that no matter what season of life you're in, you can establish a goal and you can establish a, a thing that makes you proud. And it doesn't have to be what used to make you proud. And to me, that's like, that's the fundamental value of running that any, at any point you can have different goals. Could you imagine her thinking that in 10 years she would be proud of running a half mile on pavement? No, probably not. No, uh, no.
0: no. I mean, uh, Kara is great and your point is spot on where I think that we should view, we can, we should contextualize things way more than we do. Cause sometimes it's a part of our life. Sometimes it's just that day. It's like sometimes, man, sometimes getting yourself to run three miles when you're tired at a 12 minute pace is more impressive than the half marathon times because mentally you had to fight through that day. And, And I think that that is, that is, I agree with you. I wish People to understand that more that it, it, it is it depends on what's going on and, and and being proud of of the moment contextually,
1: totally, and it sort of takes a forced experience in order to get that. Um, and another way you get sort of the forced contextualized experiences through injury. And while I wouldn't wish injury on anyone. I think having an injury and then coming, having running taken away and then coming back to it gives you an appreciation of like what your body is able to do and a reframing of you get to do this versus like, oh, it's Thursday and I'm tired. I, I have to go run. I see people tweeting all the time, like, I have to go do my six-mile run. I'm like, no, you don't. I,
0: a couple of weeks ago, I was no. like, I, I don't have to do this. Nobody's making me do this. No, I mean, I, I try and use the word get as much as possible, get to. And, 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 and when somebody asked me, oh, do you want to go to this dinner Friday night? I'm, I'm like, no, uh, you know, you could say like, no, I can't because I have to run the next day. Or you could, or you could say like, like, no, I'm not going to because I want to run the next day. Like, like, that, like, like that is the more, that's actually what's going on. Like I, I, I don't have to run. I can go to that. I'm choosing not to do that because I'm choosing to do this.
1: How much does your running play into your ability to be an excellent leader or business person? Is this something you think about?
0: Hmm, yeah, I don't, I don't really think about it. I would say um, I'm in a better mood when I'm, I'm a high mover. So whether it's working out in general, I'm in a better mood. And so I know that and, and I have a very diligent practice. So even if I'm not putting on miles, it, it will be in the gym doing weights or riding a Peloton because I am dramatically in a better mood and I'm aware of this also. I it, So if I'm in a better mood, I'm not irritable and then I can lead with calm. And so I would say insert running for working out. Absolutely. It, it, for me, it, able, it enables me to lead with more calm. Uh, I know for a fact.
1: For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what keeps you up at night?
0: I mean, right now, I mean, there's, there's a, there's, there's not a lot. I mean, I fall asleep really, really quickly. I mean, I'm usually an early to bed, early to rise person, but I fall asleep really, really quickly. But if I wake up at like the the other night, I was working on a talk for the company. I just woke up at two in the morning. W- woke up? I'm like, that's it. I got the idea. And, like, I will just get up, go downstairs, and I have this like closet in my house that turned into like an office like a harry potter hidey hole and i just start working at 2 a.m because i just i I love what i do i'm i'm i just finished first draft on a a culture book um and i love creating talks and so not lot keeps me actually nothing keeps me up at night but like i will get out of bed for a good idea um any day of the week
1: awesome one of the ideas that has turned into something substantial is your podcast talk to me about that
0: yeah, we, maybe 2018, 19, I started getting inviting to do small little like panels and, and small podcasts. And we would do Q and A's afterwards after these panels and then bigger and bigger. But people became obsessed with things I would talk about inside our culture. And I realized I'm like, Oh, we're doing something special here. And so in two late 2019, uh, decided that wanted to launch a podcast called Culture Gooder. And it's all behind the scenes of Gooder. It is, it, the whole purpose is I think we're doing something really special. And I want to inspire other... Whether it's a team leader, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's a CEO, I don't care. I want to inspire people to like do things differently and, 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 and change and really take care of the people around them. So launch a podcast just to talk about what we're doing and that was in 2020. And then it kind of spiraled in this weird way where we started realizing we're, we hire like crazy because we're growing so quickly. But we were realizing that every new hire had listened to a bunch of the podcast, not all of it. So right away, I started, I, I'm only in interviews now for like leadership positions, but realize like they're not asking any culture questions because they've listened to the <laughs> entire podcast. So they they know what they know what the fun culture is like. And, and so i think like, that's that's wild. And then other like, companies would reach out, like you know, a team with a team inside like Land Lakes. Um, like they're like a team inside the HR department at Land Lakes, which is a giant company. They reached out, they're obsessed with the podcast. They, they reached out to um, our head of people because of the podcast, and they they are like, Well, we didn't think we could get Steven, but we would like to talk to you, and I would I would have actually been happy to talk to them. And so I started realizing, oh this is making a difference and we have an in-house team here that makes all of our content. And so we had, you know, edge and flows. We, we would do it by season took about a year off. Um, but now we're producing one a week and, uh, I have a co-host, Sean who who's on the culture team here. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a labor of love. I just do it cause we, we, we don't try and monetize it. I do it because I believe our culture is special. I want to inspire other people to do it. And hopefully this time next year we'll be doing our first culture conference.
1: Cool, that's awesome. Along similar yeah. lines, what does success mean to you?
0: I mean, I've achieved it. I'm good. Like 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 if this is all that's ever happened, like 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 i've I've got it. I mean, um, let's see here. Tuesday had a giant all staff meeting, and i I had an hour long talk to kick it off about fundamental excellence and our focus and feel great about it. And then we had seventeen people present after me at the company. Um, five leaders, other people, other, the other 12, just, just, um, staff members that don't, aren't on the leadership team. And I, um, yesterday we recorded two podcasts, my Sean and I, and the first episode, he was like, Hey, let's just riff on your talk. And I'm like, that's great. Cause that talk is burned in my mind. Um, so I can answer any questions. So we, we had a whole conversation about it. And then we were supposed to record a second podcast about some other stuff in our culture. And I, and I just threw the questions away and I was like, I was like, now, no. I was like, off mic to Sean, I go, I I go, I'm proud of my talk. And I know that that's the thing that you're focused on. I was like, the more interesting thing about yesterday, Sean, to me is that I sat in the front row and I watched 17 people deliver to a group of over a hundred people at a high level. I watched 17 people, a bunch of people who've never done this before deliver at a high level. And I want to talk about why we think that is. And because, and why I think it is, is we have a high bar here people are really dedicated to their craft. They see other people doing it. And as I'm sitting there in the front row, I'm not thinking about my talk. I'm actually starry-eyed, Jonathan, watching these people on on our team just just do incredible things. Like one person, I saw their talk an hour or two weeks before in another meeting, and it was awful. And they, they killed it on Tuesday. And in this moment, I'm like, Two things are clear their leader clearly had spent the last two weeks coaching them and they had spent the last two weeks grinding um because they had flipped it around and so that was success like that sitting there in that moment like that was a top five that was like probably maybe a mount rushmore day for me better you can hear it in my voice like it's a very like it's very cool to see that
1: i love that and i love that it's completely in line with how so many other high performers answer that question where it's so infrequently something objective and measurable, and it's usually subjective and feelings-based or something that like you have control over that. I started asking that question in March of 2020. I asked it to someone who's training for the Olympics, and she was like, yeah, uh, just getting better for the next 10 years as an athlete and contributing to the team. I was like, what? You're being paid by Nike to, <laughs> to go to the Olympics and and you're telling me that success is like getting better? I was like, hmm, interesting. I'm going to start asking this question more. And I've probably asked that question 50 to 100 times. And the people who listen to this podcast regularly are probably rolling their eyes saying, oh my God, he's reflecting on this again. But a lot of the feedback that I get from the the, the podcast and the reviews that I that I Read And I yes, I read all of them and I appreciate all of them, um, is that people love this continued reaffirming of these fundamental things, fundamental pillars of excellence, right? Like I started this podcast because I get to meet really interesting people and I think there's a lot to learn. And the reason that we're all on this planet is to leave the world a better place. And there are so many people that contribute such cool things. Why not learn from them? And so my learning from all these people is just control what you can control and and leave that as the North Star. And the good things happen, right? Like when you focus on the process, when you focus on checking the box, when you focus on step by step by step, shit happens and it's good. And sometimes it's not. And then you tweak and adjust and then it eventually it is good. But it's like riding the waves and making the waves go a little bit higher every time.
0: Yeah, if you celebrate the work or the results, then who cares if there's more work? That's what you're celebrating, and that's what I want everybody to understand.
1: What would, yes, what would Stephen of 2012, 2014 want to know from Stephen of today, or what would Stephen of today tell the Stephen of 10 or so years ago?
0: Well, um, I don't believe in. A, I, I'm, a, I'm. I'm terrified of the butterfly effect, and what I mean by that is I love the person I am today. I've been very fortunate. I've made tons of mistakes. I, the, the amount of times I've fucked up would barely fit in a Grand Canyon. And I've needed to make every one of those mistakes to end up where I am. And so I would never dream of giving past Steven advice. Like, like past Steven has led me to present Steven, which I, I, I very much enjoy.
1: The Butterfly Effect was a real fucked up movie though. Can we talk about that
0: for a second? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it can, yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't give, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to him. I don't think he needed. I think he needed to fail.
1: <laughs> I love that. It's that's so different than any the other any of the other ways that people answer that question. Um okay, so fast forward ten years. We've we've canceled the retrospection. Let's let's look forward. What are you really proud of?
0: Well, I mean I'm I hopefully it's the same thing I'm proud of today, which is like the people that I've met the um the effect that, that I've been able to have on others' lives, the effect of what other people have on my lives. I mean that that's hopefully what it what it is. When I, I like success. I like I I've already success has already been defined, and and so that that's a very real thing. And I think that I I have a chip on my shoulder that I will put there at times to prove other people wrong. I'm very aware of it. I know it's a tactic, but I think that in ten years. Um, I am sh- like t- what, where I've gone the past 10 years, I can't even comprehend Jonathan of full transparency. Um, it has been that completely insane of a struggling living paycheck to paycheck, but like want- starting things to running a company where we have 130 people are hiring, you know, 10 people right now to start, um, another 10, uh, in the summer. Um, so I have a feeling that the Steven in 10 years is going to be just as odd as if Steven is. I hope that at least, I, I, I hope that he is shocked and odd.
1: <laughs> And maybe he's run 200 milers at that point.
0: <laughs> but yeah, maybe he's run 200 milers, uh, uh at, at that point, or, um, you know, found another, it's has another passion that, that, that he's really into.
1: Maybe he's into pickleball or, or boxing or something. Um, as someone who is also at a company that has 130 people i didn't start when it was as small as when you obviously started gooder but i joined when there were 8 of us and it's pretty wild to see how culture changes from 8 to 130 what's for someone this is a very selfish question for someone no, in that in that space who is in a place where you're building a team, you're growing a team, you've been there a while. What are you telling that person? Again, I'm asking this question for, because I'm super curious. Like, how do you how do you make sure that right? Like, I love the startup culture. I love the familiarity of of knowing everyone's life story. I know so much about so many different people who have been at the company for a long time, but I don't really know the new people. And the pandemic and the yeah. work from home makes it super challenging. So Talk about culture. How do you maintain that culture as you continue to
0: grow? Yeah, well, pre-pandemic, we were always a Tuesday, Thursday company, meaning you had to be in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays. Monday, Wednesday, Friday is optional. Then pandemic happens. We go full remote um, until September of 2021, where we brought everybody back. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. Everybody at Gooder lives in Southern California and has to be in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so... One thing right away is there's a critical mass here 40% of the time looking each other in the eye, having connections. And I don't think I would run a company that was virtual. And so I I can't actually connect your world. I understand it because for a year, over a year and a half, we had to do it. And it's incredibly hard, it's incredibly exhausting. You start telling your story, you start telling yourself stories about people. Cause you never get to be in the same room, and you never, you never get to look at them, and you never get to understand what's going on. Um, I think inherently, as people, we we crave connection. And um, I had I've drawn my line in the sand of Gooder will be an in person company Tuesdays and Thursdays because I believe it's so important to culture.
1: Our leadership uh, trust is the is one of the strongest components that we attempt to enable and facilitate and you can't take risks if you don't trust that there's the ability to fail and that you can trust that your teammates are making decisions that they're not just shooting from the hip and trying stuff they're they're taking calculated swings at things that might not work out and it's really it's been really hard to build trust in a in a remote environment and so It's been fun to get back in the office and and spend like see people in three dimensions versus just, you know, screen time and and there's really no other way around it.
0: Are you are you is your company like is there a virtual option? Is it remote?
1: I live two thousand miles from the office.
0: Okay, yeah. So like like yeah, like, like when's the last time you have you ever been into the office?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I I go back every four to six weeks. My family lives in the area. I still have a place in the area and it's very easy for me to go back and forth, but that's not the case for everyone. But like next week, the whole sales and marketing team is in the office Monday through Wednesday. And like, that's going to be awesome and different.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and to answer further your question of like, how, how do you create culture? Do you grow? I would say my goal, my job is to not keep our culture as we get bigger. It's to evolve it appropriately. Because it is impossible to think that you could keep the same culture with 25 people at, at 50 at 75 at 100. And so what I'm focused on is how are we evolving it in the appropriate way and, and I think for people who are in um, fast growth companies like you and me, that's what we should be looking at and talking about is not keep not keeping it the same. How do we evolve this appropriately because change is inevitable and and, and let's just let, let, let's try and change together in the right way.
1: I love it I could go for hours with you on this uh, maybe we'll have to do a round two at, at the cabana out in uh, California oh anytime but, uh, for, uh, thank you so much for for taking the time to share your expertise thank you to Gooder for for supporting this podcast for so long um, and uh, any, any other final words of wisdom before signing off
0: no but if you want to do a live podcast at the cabana uh, uh, you let me know anytime it's yours
1: Let's do it. Cool. Steven, thank you so much. And we'll see you out there. Thanks, Jonathan. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village.